Hey, it's Sean Fennessy. We've got something special cooking on the Prestige TV podcast. I'll be recapping one of my favorite shows, HBO's Barry, every Sunday night with the writer-director star of the show, the great Bill Hader. We'll talk about the show's wild twists and turns, its special brand of dark comedy, and how it all came together. So on Sunday nights, immediately after a new episode airs, you can hear Bill and I break it all down on the Prestige TV pod. Subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's The Bear, starring Jeremy Allen White, Ayo Adebri, and Eben Moss Backrack. Season two follows as the crew work to transform their grimy sandwich joint into a next level spot. It turns out the only thing harder than running a restaurant is opening a new one. Television Academy members can watch all episodes at fxnetworks.com slash FYC. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, it is Wednesday, April 27th, and I am coming to you from Las Vegas, where the annual CinemaCon convention is happening. That's a movie theater executive convention where they all get together at Caesars Palace, and they sit there, and each one by one, the studios present their wares, so to speak. You get whatever's coming up in the DC movie universe. Uh, today, Disney is presenting about what their Marvel movies are going to be. Um, it's really a nice way to see what the next six to eight months in movies is going to be, especially the ones that are going directly to theaters, which is what everybody here talks about. One of the other things they talk about here, and it's sort of an unspoken issue, but they do actually explicitly give a presentation on this, is how valuable the whole intellectual property industry is, both to the U.S. and the global economy. I mean, this is all based on the copyright laws, which sounds super boring, and yes, they are super boring and very complicated, but if you look at the numbers, it's really insane. The entire film, music, books, Broadway, you know, every creative industry comes down to the ability to get ownership over something that you create. If you are a young writer and you walk in with a script idea that you have and you've written it down and you sell it to a studio, you have rights in that movie forever, potentially, uh, because the copyright law has been extended multiple times. It, it now ends you know, at the life of the author plus a certain amount of years, but every time it's come up, they have extended it. All right, so today we're going to talk with Aaron Moss, who is a copyright lawyer and an expert on termination, and he's involved in a lot of these big cases. And one of the big issues is, this, you know, the one that everybody cares about is the Marvel superheroes. I mean, there has been litigation for decades over who owns these Marvel superheroes, and Disney has a big problem on its hand because some of these characters are coming up for termination, and obviously the heirs of the writers and comic book artists who created these characters want some of that money. It's billions of dollars that these characters are worth. It's a really interesting issue. I ultimately don't think that they will lose, that Disney will lose these characters, but it's a really fascinating issue and they are certainly at risk and there's some legal nuances here. So today we're going to talk to Aaron about all of that. I'm Matt Bellany and this is The Town. Okay, we are here with Aaron Moss. He is a copyright law expert, and he writes a great blog called Copyright Lately that you should check out if you're interested in this stuff. Aaron, I want to get right into it. This is a big issue for 
Hollywood studios and the music industry as well. But Hollywood studios face the prospect of losing big franchises like RoboCop or Predator or Lethal Weapon or Ace Ventura. Some of these big, big movies potentially could fall out of their hands and back to the writers of those original scripts. Um, can you explain what's going on here and why this is a big deal? Yeah, so just uh, to step back to uh, to when the new Copyright Act was was passed, not so new anymore, but there was uh, a compromise that that Congress uh, enacted um, in exchange for granting a longer term of protection, um, essentially adding decades to the uh, the term of copyright. They gave the option for authors and their heirs to actually recapture copyrights that had already been granted back at a time when the value of their works were not fully known. Congress said, we need to have some sort of ability with respect to these extended terms to give the authors or their heirs a second bite at the apple. The author or the author's family can essentially recapture the copyright take it away from, in this case, the studio, and either sell it to somebody else or exploit it themselves. At least that's the theory behind it. So it's like you were a nobody, you suck at negotiation, you got probably screwed by the studio, but hey, 35 years down the line, that's when you're going to make your money. Yeah, I'm not sure it's even about sucking in negotiation. I mean, the fact is, is that how many people are writing spec screenplays every day? And, you know, would you be able to pick the the next uh, lethal weapon out of a, out of a crowd, um, you know, when you're dealing with, uh, you know, literally thousands of, of script submissions? So I think that the studios take calculated risks. They have to spread their risks. They need to make sure that they aren't putting all their eggs in one basket. And so just as a practical matter, um, a, a brand new author on a spec script is, is you know, not going to get paid nearly as much as the author of a proven franchise. I mean, we've seen big cases involving properties like Friday the 13th and Hellraiser. And I wrote this past week about the negotiation going on right now over RoboCop, which is up for termination. And, you know, the studios are dealing with a lot of these issues on films like Beetlejuice and Warner Brothers just re-signed Ocean's Eleven after a big negotiation. But there's, I think we should just point out that there's a couple of caveats, okay? Because I don't want people to get the wrong idea about what this means. So let's say that Ace Ventura is terminated. So what that means is that going forward, the studio would not have the right to do remakes or sequels, even if it had that ability in the contracts that the original screenplay author signed. But the studio does not lose its ability to continue to stream the original films, to continue to exploit what has already been created. That's what's called the derivative works exception. The other thing that this studio does not lose is any rights outside of the United States. And that's because the Copyright Act only applies here in the U.S. So an example where this happened was Predator, one of my favorite action movies of the 80s. Predator was written as a script called Hunters by two brothers in Central California. They sold it. They 
eventually redeveloped it as an Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle. It spawns four, almost five sequels now. Um, they got another one in the works. And yet this one is up for termination and they actually exercise their rights. Explain what happened there. There was uh, an issue about whether the termination notice was actually served too late because there's a very specific window. Congress uh, allowed for heirs to recapture, authors to recapture their rights, but frankly, didn't make it all that easy. So, Well, that was on purpose, probably, yeah, yeah. right? Because the content industry didn't want this. It, it, ex exactly right. Exactly right. So, so they... Uh, you know, they give you a very limited window. And if you screw up on the timing, and this is something that even copyright lawyers, you know, they give them nightmares about screwing up the timing on these things. That is what Fox uh, argued in the in the Predator case. Ultimately, that case was just resolved um, within, uh, within the last few months. Um, so there was a settlement. So uh, presumably, there's going to be now um, some payment you know, I don't have any inside information, but typically the way it works is that there's a renegotiation. There's some payment made to the screenwriters and then the studio retains the rights going forward. And that's ultimately what happens in most cases here, because you mentioned the fact that these rights are only for the U.S. And these days, the studios want global. The streaming services want global. And they know that when they're, you know, they're exploiting these franchises, they need to have the global rights. So if you just have the U.S. rights to Predator, that's not very valuable. <laughs> you kind of have to have global rights. So the ultimate buyer for these rights is probably going to be the studio, in this case, Fox, that made the original. And what kind of money are we talking about here? Like, I know it varies probably wildly, but if, you know, if you're looking at something like the Predator thing where this, these guys sold this spec script in the 80s, probably for not very much money, maybe they got a piece of the royalties, maybe they didn't. And then all of a sudden they get this property back and it's hugely valuable. And there have been five, spin, five sequels and a bunch of Predator versus Alien spinoffs. And it's worth a lot to Fox to keep these rights. So what do you think these writers probably got? I don't know. I will tell you that so much of it, though, is not based upon, you know, what the uh, property has done in the past. It's really about looking forward and what is it going to do in the future. But let's put it this way. It'll be a lot more than the uh, than the author got the first time around. Yeah. And you look at the way that some of these older franchises are selling. I mean, the deal for The Exorcist, they're making three movies and it was hundreds of millions of dollars that Universal paid both for the right to do it and the production uh, services of the producer. So it, these, you know, for the right property, there is a lot of value out there. And all of these studios, I could see Fox, you know, making a Predator TV show and to put on Hulu. Or, you know, all of these studios are looking to mine the library because this is what they have that distinguishes them from Netflix. They have decades of intellectual property. And MGM, the studio, was just bought by Amazon for $8.5 billion, mostly for that library of old titles that they can remake. And if you look at something like RoboCop, which is in the MGM library, that's a huge risk to lose those rights that you've paid all this money to get, because I'm sure they'd love to do a RoboCop reboot or a TV show. The big mother load here is obviously the superhero characters. Yeah. Um, the Avengers, specifically, are the subject of a big copyright case right now. Is there a possibility that Disney could lose the Avengers? The answer, Matt, is no. 
There is absolutely no possibility. And I can say that with confidence, not knowing how the case is actually going to end up. Um, explain, well, explain what the case is. Various artists. So people like uh, like Don Rico and um, Steve Ditko, Don Heck, some of the classic comic artists, uh, you know, of the uh, of the 50s have served termination notices in some of the most iconic superheroes uh, around Iron Man, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Hawkeye. And they are seeking under um, a statute that applies to earlier works to recapture their rights in those works going forward. And everyone is kind of, when they saw this lawsuit said, oh my God, what's gonna happen? Um, if Marvel and Disney lose, no more movies or games or TV shows, what are we gonna do? And, and so that is not what is gonna happen. So let me just back up for a second. A lot of works, especially comic books, are created by many, many contributors. And in the case of these particular books, Stan Lee played a huge role in creating the Marvel Universe, the Marvel characters. Stan Lee was an employee, a salaried employee of the company. Even if these estates can show that the artists were not work for hire, that they you know, have the right to terminate, at the end of the day, their joint works. So the answer to the question is Marvel will not lose them. At most, if it loses the case, it will have to share some portion of its profits going forward with these creators. And even then, there's a big question as to how much of a share that would be. And the reason is that over the years, these characters have developed the plots. Everything about that universe has grown. And to the extent that these original artists had nothing to do with those contributions, everything would need to be apportioned. It would be a huge mess. But Disney, Marvel, they aren't going to lose anything. Could it be a situation where these heirs, and we're talking about the heirs here, these artists are not still alive and these rights do pass to the heirs. Could they then take a Black Widow and sell it to a rival studio, which then does a Black Widow movie as a joint owner of the copyright? Most studios that are going to spend that kind of money want to get exclusive rights. If you are a co-owner the most you can grant is non-exclusive rights. So if you take the fact that it's US only, you take the fact that it is non-exclusive, and by the way, if you take the fact that you would be limited to using the very representation of that character that was created by that original artist, in other words, not the later incarnations, not anything that was added over the years, you are talking about a small sliver. And is any studio really going to invest that kind of money to do that older version uh, with no bells and whistles on a non-exclusive basis? Uh, maybe. Maybe. I mean, listen, the, the Marvel characters are so valuable that maybe someone would say, you know what, let's do a R-rated Black Widow movie. We'll adhere to all the rules, have it be an origin story, only the rights that these heirs own and we'll just go full r-rated raunchy nudity violence and make it awesome and that marvel can't 
do itself and they can't stop it. Yeah, but let's but now let's let's get back to the case, right? Because the heirs still have to win. The only real way that this can come out a different with a different result is if the Supreme Court, the US Supreme Court takes on the case. It's a long shot. The Supreme Court takes very few cases. I think this is a long shot. The upshot here, it's actually it's always struck me as how sad it is for these creators of these iconic comic book characters because they really did get so little from their work and they are now these characters are now running the movie business. I mean, think of Disney without Marvel. This is billions and billions of dollars and the people who actually created these characters got almost nothing. Yeah, there's no question that um, this particular statute, as well-intentioned as it may have been, is not going to and never has solved the problem that you are articulating. Now, I do know that sometimes studios will bring on you know, either elderly artists, authors, or their estates as consultants. They will um, pay them certain amounts of, of money uh, in order to serve as a recognition of the contributions that have been made. Um, yeah, Stan Lee was getting a million dollars a year from Marvel, but yeah. that feels like a pittance compared to what he was generating. There's no question. The flip side would be that this that the studios would say, look, you came to me, you know, with a kernel of an idea. Lots of other people that I hired help to turn that kernel. I mean, obviously you contributed, but they helped to turn that kernel into the property it is today over the course of decades and decades. And, you know, can you really say that one person is is responsible, you know, especially in the world of comic books that are so collaborative? That's true. And, uh, and Marvel was in bankruptcy before Kevin Feige and that crew came along and decided to you know reboot the whole thing with Iron Man. So yeah. I so get the question that. is, yeah, so who created the value? But look, I, I am not in any way attempting to diminish um, the, the, the fact that uh, artists, at the time that they are most vulnerable, at the time that they are in the least, uh, have the least amount of negotiating power, you know, that is when they end up uh, signing away these rights. And, um, you know, do they end up, you know, reaping all the full benefits? Not nearly enough. All right. We will see how these cases come down. Thank you very much, Aaron. We appreciate your time. Thank you, Matt. All right. We're back with the call sheet, my daily prediction of things that are happening in Hollywood. I'm here with producer Craig. Craig, uh, you should have come to Vegas with me. I, I wear the invite must still be in the mail. <laughs> I think it was. Uh, you could have <laughs> stayed for the NFL draft. I know that's your thing. That's right. Yeah, two days from now, tomorrow. Yeah the 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 cool thing about being here for these presentations is you do get a sense, at least from the footage that these studios show everybody, of what's good, what's bad, what's interesting, and what you just absolutely don't care about. Um, so today, my call sheet is going to be a little, a couple predictions from the Sony Pictures and Warner Brothers, uh, the Sony Pictures and Warner Brothers presentations here at CinemaCon. Um, first and foremost, the Elvis movie actually looks good. Mm. Baz Luhrmann, I mean, he got up and talked for like endlessly on stage about how his process and everything. <laughs> but I will say the footage looked amazing. It has like a kind of uh, Great Gatsby vibe to it. Austin Butler is really good as Elvis. 
Um, and it like it actually feels modern and not like a relic of the 50s and 60s. Yeah, the trailer's out. The trailer looks really good. I like the cast of Austin Butler. Do you even know who Elvis Presley is? I've heard of him, yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's on TikTok. But it, it, it'll be interesting to see who, what people your age think of this movie because they, they are trying to infuse it with like hip hop and like a bunch of modern music. And we'll see how that goes over. Speaking of people your age, gotta say it. I'm sorry for Timothy Chalamet, but he looks like he's horribly miscast in the Wonka movie. I mean, <laughs> he is <laughs> the foot, the footage just I, I, like, I like him as an actor. I don't want to say he's a bad actor, but just, he doesn't have that like charisma. He doesn't feel like someone you want to watch in this role. It's just kind of this like scrawny little guy. And you know, it's like a musical, it's original musical. It's the whole movie's about his journey to making chocolate. <laughs> and I don't know. It just, that, that one, I, I was scratching my head a bunch. Yeah, it's hard to recreate Gene Wilder and play, replace him with Timothy Chalamet. Not exactly, or even Johnny Depp. Even in yeah. the remake, Johnny Depp, was, you know, had a, a stardom to him that made him, you know, interesting to watch. But um, all right, the DC stuff looked fine from Warner's. It's like exactly what you would expect. Aquaman two has a whole bunch of footage underwater. Like the 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 cool reveal is they showed Margot Robbie as Barbie, which I had very little interest in a Barbie movie until. I saw that it was being directed by Greta Gerwig yeah. and that Margot Robbie is Barbie and Ryan Gosling is playing Ken. Perfect casting, in my opinion. I, know. I can't. I, I was like shocked they would do it, but you know what? Like it's a franchise. They can is make it a 10 comedy? Barbies. Like what? What's the spin on it? I have heard that it is a little bit subversive. It doesn't make fun of the property, but it is subversive. Like you know, Ken will have no genitals. And like, there, you know, Barbie will make fun of the image of like Barbie as a dumb blonde. Mm. So that that actually looked pretty good. And she wrote it with her husband Noah Bomback. That's right. And are they married? I don't know if they're married. They are married. I thought they were. Are they, are just, they they're just together? I think they've just been together forever. Mm. I don't know. My my celebrity gossip is always like five months behind. Oh yeah, it just says they're partners. Partners. There we go. Um, then from the Sony presentation, the standout for me was the Spider-Verse, uh, across the Spider-Verse. Like that, the original movie's great. They showed some unfinished footage of the sequel that's actually not coming out till next year now. I hope it makes sense. It was sort of confusing as to what was going on, but they showed 15 minutes and it looked pretty cool. And finally, my uh, last observation slash prediction, the Brad Pitt train movie, Bullet Train, gonna be a hit. Really, really cool stuff. Like he just goes nuts and starts like breaking shit and killing people on a train. Good costumes in that movie. Brad Pitt's in like a bucket hat. I think his character's name is Ladybug. Yeah, there's a Lebowski vibe to him. He's just yeah. sort of this like bumbling killer who like goes around like people think that he's kind of nothing. And then all of a sudden he just, you know, opens a can of whoop ass. I like when Brad Pitt gets silly. It's my favorite Brad Pitt. Burn After Reading was another fun character of his. He's actually a fantastic character actor. He's just too good looking. I think he's aging into that now because he's kind of like too old to play the like serious movie action star so he's mm -hmm. kind of got a wink at you when he's doing it but uh it definitely works in this movie at least the 15 minutes we saw um all right that is it i want to thank aaron moss for joining me today i want to thank producer craig horlbeck and i want to thank you we'll see you tomorrow this episode is brought to you by state farm you might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, 
file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.